plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. What'd you say? Plus minus. Marcus Thompson. Marcus always telling the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well respected. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome back to another season of Warriors Plus Minus. I guess we could kind of call this the first of the season. I felt like our last podcast was kind of recapping free agency in the draft and training camp is this week, although it's a weird training camp. But how is everyone doing? Everyone ready for this season? Is it going to start if we don't show up? I mean, that's if we're not allowed to go see it, does the season actually really start? That's what I'm feeling like. It's like the tree know, in the woods. If I can't hear Draymond yelling at somebody in the in the in the locker room, does the season really count? No, it, it it's good to know they're, uh, what they're doing. What max four in the gym together at this point, Slater? Is that what it is? And then Saturday they can start actually team practices. Yeah, they're basically doing over the next week what they've been able to do a lot of the summer which is you come in you get a coronavirus test and you can individually work out with one coach at one basket and really not do any contact and you can have four guys in the gym at once spread out now that ends starting sunday they're getting tested each day and you know supposed to kind of be self-quarantining a bit sunday will be the first group practice the first time sure you can have james wiseman out there scrimmaging with kelly Oubre. you know so that to me is when camp really starts and they're testing, right? Like that—that's what they're doing. Like, because I'm sure everybody's around. Saturday was the first day of like everybody gets a test every day. I wonder if this is like um, pregame, where you know the stars get to pick when they go. And like <laughs> on Friday, it will be like you know the end of the bench. Nico Mannion and them will finally get to get to, get to the court on Friday. Like, I wonder if that's how it's working. Well, I would imagine that one side, that that back left side basket is kind of probably reserved for one guy whenever he wants it, and then everyone else kind of works from there, probably. Well, I think everyone can go every day. You just can't go at the same time. There's, like, windows. You know, these four can come this 90-minute window, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like tea times. Tea times. You got you to gotta, you gotta reserve your tea time. Recording this on Tuesday, it will drop on Wednesday morning. So if anything else gets said in between, that's why you know which, why we're saying it no, now. No, it's because, it's because we didn't we didn't care to mention that's it. Also we were true. slackers. Also true. We're completely ignoring Bob Myers and Steve Kerr talking later today. It's kind of stupid to anticipate what they might say. But well, uh, uh, no, say, no, it's not yeah. too stupid. Bob Myers will be <laughs> wrong, I don't wrong know. answers only. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Guys, what do you know. think? What do you think? What do you guys? think? I'm not uh, sure. Steve, I mean, you tell me. You've been around. You've been around. <laughs> Steve will give us something. Steve will actually probably tell us what the uh, rotations are probably going to be and give us an update. Bob will be at his lawyer best when he gives his press conference, is my prediction. We should get Durant in for just just because that still was the greatest media day moments uh, two two seasons ago. That was so great. This is the Zoom world. Just email the Nets. You can be yeah, on. That's Kevin true. Ray. That's oh. true. You're right. You're right. Think the Nets will allow us on? Do you think that the uh, Nets PR? Wants what if to hook we that did up? that? What if we all four jumped on the Nets Durant uh, presser and just were just asking questions? What if Ethan just jumped on? That's what we all. I'll we know that Ethan. Nets PR is tired of him if they let me on. <laughs> Oh, I started a bad. I started down a bad road, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I am no, interested. TK, you missed it. The greatest, tra- the greatest uh, inter training camp or media day moment was 
Steven Jackson revealing his gun oh, tattoo. Yeah, yeah, Were you yeah, there for that? that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that was the same day Monte said he couldn't play with Steph. Yep, that was the greatest. Well, that was a whole other era for the Warriors. That was a whole other, like, it feels like ancient that history. Was a different it was universe. incredible. Well, let's, we could go through this. I mean, we'll get Ooh, a little segue. We, we, we want to talk about the future, but the Monte Ellis thing, the whole hubbub with him. He's traded for who was he traded for? I'm trying to remember now. Who did the Warriors get for him? Steven Jackson. Steven yeah. Jackson. <laughs> back. That's correct. And Andrew Bogut. And I think that's a it's a good launch. It's a good way to reframe everything. Like we're talking about again, fifteen and fifty was terrible. We know they have their issues. We know not having Clay this season is going to be a big deal for them. We don't know how good they're going to be. But just still where they are, the players they have, the mentality they have, the structure they have, compared to the moment of that team was at before they traded for Andrew Bogut. It did make a difference. It did change who they were. Not just like the way he played, but obviously defensive-minded center. They just didn't have anything like that. But just the camaraderie, the sensibility, he you know, he fused with Steph and Draymond and Clay. Marcus, does any of that strike you about like where they are now and what that Bogut trade did for them? I think the uncertainty is the common denominator. Because remember they traded for Bogut, he was hurt. He was out for the year. Him and Steph, I think they had off-season ankle surgery on the yeah. same day. <laughs> like, you know, so Steph was, you know, his ankles were shot. They traded for a guy who had a broken ankle and also had busted his elbow up before that. So there was just so much uncertainty and nobody knew if it would work. Nobody knew if it was right to basically give Curry the keys to the kingdom and move off from Monta. Yeah. I maintain that was just because it was fun. I, I don't think that was so bad. That was rooted in it started because they were mad. It started because they were mad. I was there. I was in the middle of it. And it clearly, it started with a, a several hundred people were mad. Because I walked through the crowd. They were murmuring about Monte through this. And it continued because it was fun. That part I agree. It was, it was kind of like, look at what we're doing. Look at, this is kind of cool. And, but it started <laughs> because, and there was no doubt a sense of people pissed off. Well, it also was that they're going to move him to San Francisco. You know, who's this loudmouth owner making all these declarations? And they traded our favorite player, Monte Ellis, who... A large portion of the Warriors fan base thought was a superstar. Uh, I happened to disagree at the time. I disagree now. But that was part of And for a guy who was hurt. All, all those things became part of it. But it was a huge turning point moment for the franchise. I don't think there's been this much uncertainty since then. I mean, even last year, we knew they would be bad. Like, we knew they, would, they wouldn't be good. Ah! Jeez, I, I, Ethan, I push... my goodness, Ethan, you're... <laughs> that's quite a sound you're making there. <laughs> it's 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 the Jewish sound of pushing back is what that is. Uh, I mean, I think that this might be a little bit of creeping determinism. When something happens, people tell themselves that they knew it was going to happen. Not for you, Marcus. I think we were close enough to the situation to know that they were going to be uh, not so good. And that's the why outside Steve was, was trolling yeah. his own team at the beginning of the year. Yeah. The, I think the outside world thought it was still the Warriors. And uh, they quickly found out mm, not so much. So We all knew that D'Angelo Russell was a trade chip. Right, like we knew where this was going. As much as Bob Myers was saying we got him to keep him, or Joe Laker was saying we got him to keep him, we all knew that he this was the transition phase, and that was kind of one player we didn't know, and everybody else was just like draft picks and hurt, and the whole what three new starters potentially, 
an entire new bench and, and the kind of guys we just don't know what we're going to get from them. We know what it could be, but it also could go the other way. Like, we just don't know you mean how this, this is going to work out. You mean yeah, this, this season? season. Yeah, yeah, like this yeah. season, it just feels like there's so much you don't know. If they don't make the playoffs, we wouldn't be surprised. If they were the four seed, we wouldn't be that surprised. Like, you just don't, there's so much uncertainty on this on this franchise's roster. Like, we don't, we don't even know if they're going to be in San Francisco. Like, what if San Francisco County comes out tomorrow and says, yeah, we like the Santa Clara plan. Y'all got to go. Right? Like, <laughs> they we, go, we ah! just, there's everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Home court, Arco Arena. Well, not Arco Arena, whatever. Golden One Arena. Is their Golden Warriors One Center. Yeah, yeah, Golden One Center, one of, one of those. But you know what? I mean, to, to go into that, I mean, they've got a 19-year-old player who might turn out to be their most important player in three years. And we haven't had that in a long time. I mean, Harrison Barnes was was good, was important, but it just wasn't the same. Like this, James Wiseman creates a, I think, an intriguingness and also like a question mark that we haven't had with this team, just as observers, and I assume with the Warriors themselves, we don't know what they're going to say about them, right? I mean, those first four days, you know, until they get to that first team practice and then maybe right after that like we're all anticipating what are they going to say about him because we don't know and i would i want to see some video of them i'm very curious like everyone else i kind of have a semi idea what it's going to look like even the new you know Ubre, baysmore wanamaker we've seen them play in the in the league i mean again you know, he barely played in college i am fascinated by that factor that's the thing right there where you know you can go to synergy and watch kelly Ubre highlights for days upon days upon days you could go watch synergy of, of james wiseman at memphis and it takes you i don't know about 45 minutes to get through his entire college career it's not even just hey they have the second overall pick how will he look in the league it's just like who is this guy as a player and what makes it more interesting is like the idea of the ceiling of this player like it's possible they got an absolute stud but it's you know it's also possible they have a project who shouldn't even barely be considered part of their rotation and i think we're gonna know early it's intriguing. Last night, DK Metcalf is on Monday Night Football, and I'm thinking about how intriguing that is. He comes in the league. This guy is built unlike anybody else. Is he going to harness the potential, or is it all a mirage? Are we going to learn something about how that doesn't necessarily substitute for football acumen, whatever? He's really blossomed, and people are interested. People want to watch it. I think it's a little similar with Wiseman. This guy is built unlike anybody else in the draft. And we don't know much about his actual ability to become a star or even a rotation player. And that adds such an intriguing subplot to the season. I think we're all in agreement that, that he's the guy we will be most focused on when he's on the floor to start the season. Are you saying he should go out and get two nose rings and wear half crop shirts? <laughs> See, I didn't even know and, about and all dye, that. And dye his hair. Dye his hair. And dye his hair. Red. Yeah, yeah. you saying? Get on the Metcalf plan. <laughs> I will say, if James Wiseman has DK Metcalf's uh, aggressiveness and physicality, then he's going to be really good because DK Metcalf is a monster. We don't know. He might he might be throwing around people. And, and Metcalf had be, Slay yeah. like in his post game, like, yeah, I got to be better. Slay's a pretty good quarterback. He's like, yo, I lost every 50-50 ball. You never hear a quarterback talk like that. I agree Wiseman is the biggest question mark. I think number two has got to be Draymond. Mark Grabo, the uh, longtime Warrior strength and conditioning coach during the era, TK, one of TK's good friends. Sure. Big Chris Mullen guy. Big Chris Mullen guy, uh, whose son was like ripped. Remember how little, that little boy yeah, was God, like, yeah. oh, oh, man, yeah. he was so cut. 
Graybo told me like one of the things he always looks for at the start of camp is who has definition in their arms because that's like the easiest thing to get and it tells you who is working out. And so it's something I always look at. So you told me to always look for. We won't get to see it, but you'll be able to see like who, who came in a little prepared and who's got to start. Marcus, remember how Jordan Crawford's arms looked like uh, our arms? Remember that? <laughs> yes. Picking on poor Jordan Crawford again. Poor Jordan Crawford. I remember the year David Lee came ripped, lifted up his shirt like that one year. He's like, yeah, I've been putting in work. And he had the Mark Wahlberg abs. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But <laughs> I, I'd be interested in like how, how guys look. Fortunately for the Warriors, they got a lot of long, wiry guys where conditioning is not in, but... I definitely want to see Draymond. I want to see how he looks. I want to see what shape he's in, how his shot looks. I saw some sort of clip where he was looking looking pretty lean, some sort of workout clip. We haven't gotten too many updates from a guy who's on Snapchat a lot of about what he's up to. But yeah, I, I concur. He did have a kid very recently, number one. I also had a question. Do the listeners have to drink because Marcus mentioned David Lee or did Tim have to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's Marcus trying to get me to say it. I mentioned yeah. it for Tim, so yeah. It's <laughs> hey, it's funny. I did I did the Athletic NBA show yesterday, and I mentioned David Lee. I brought him up. I compared Obi Toppin to David Lee. I think Obi wow. Toppin's about to go have a David Lee type uh, double-double <laughs> wow. thing. In wow, New York. In, New York, in New York, too. Wow, yes, nicely exactly. done. That's nicely right. I brought done. Up. Yeah. So the Warriors are, so basically the Warriors are going to sign and trade for Obi Toppin in about six years is what you're saying? I saw I saw Obi Toppin on Scott Van Pelt, and Scott Van Pelt compared him to Amari Stoudemire. I can only imagine what his face would have looked like if instead the cop was David Lee. You seem very pleased with the Amari Stoudemire cop. Double, double machine. Back to the Draymond point, and it ties back into our first question about Wiseman. I think that if Draymond can bring out of Wiseman an immediate rim-protecting, like, solid defender, that helps Draymond a lot. It's what he didn't really have last year and what he doesn't really have necessarily in Marquise Chris or Kevon Looney. But if he has somebody on the backside who he's like, hey, look, if I go gamble, if I go jump this passing lane, if I go double, even though you know the assignment doesn't tell me to double, but I think I can maybe blow up this play. And if it doesn't work, then James Wiseman might block the dunk at the rim anyways. I think that frees him to be like free safety again and might invigorate him. So I think t- task one for Draymond is be in shape. Task two is make Wiseman a stud. And guess who the last center was like for uh, Draymond? Who was the last guy who he thought like that? Andrew Bogut. It's a theme show. It's a theme show. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe if Draymond has a renaissance, if he if he comes back a bit, you could see him gun him for a depoy if this whole thing works out. If he's okay, you know, if he hasn't declined. I think just surrounded by all that length to finally have that guy on the back end who can protect the rim, can free him up in the way Slater is saying. And then I think just Draymond is maybe the biggest swing factor in the season. You know, if he's good, the Warriors are going to be good. If he's not, it can get a little bit tricky. That and Steph's health, I think, is the big swing. But do you should we take a trip down memory lane? Should we take a trip down down Bogut Lane? Is that something? Well, that, Ethan, I think yeah. everyone's waiting for your con- thoughts on oh, your, your pal, oh, your man. pal Bogues. I, I mean, yesterday was a rough day for Ethan. <laughs> Wait, it was. <laughs> I'm joking. Are you like, are you one of his early listeners to the Rogues Bogues podcast? That's my question. <laughs> I did listen to the intro episode. I actually told him that he should check out the uh, the Pat McAfee show because I think as a model of athlete 
sports content, that guy's doing something that works. And I don't necessarily think that what Bogut's doing is exactly going to be like that. Football culture is different from basketball culture. But I'm very curious to see what he's going to do because he's going to try different formats out and see what works. He's presented it like he's going to burn all the bridges. I don't know if it's going to be that, but I'm certainly going to listen if that's the case because there are definitely definitely a lot of stories there. I would say the first smart thing he did was the marketing of I'm going to announce my retirement on the podcast. I didn't even know I'm a bogut person. I didn't even know he was doing a podcast. So that helps right there. But Ethan, your thoughts on Bogut as a person and a player, not the podcast. How about Bogut as a person and a player? So, yeah, he's a, he's a mix of things. He's a lot like Andre. And they said that by their own admission, too. They both said, yeah, he's a lot like me for the other guy. And so there is this kind of sarcastic assholishness that's combined with being a, a consummate professional in many ways. Um, and somebody who understands the game and how to help the younger players, which is, I think, one of the reasons why Harrison Barnes was so effusive in his praise for Bogut when the retirement was announced. He believed that Bogut really helped him a lot in his career, similar to how Andre helped a lot of players. And But not Barnes. <laughs> <Wait a> <laughs> but not so much Barnes, because there was, yeah. there was too much overlap as far as role in minutes. So, uh, yeah. So I think that that was definitely part of the basketball uh, aspect of Bogut. He was somebody who uh, was good for business in terms of media. And he's somebody who says things that are pretty controversial, to say the least. And it's been interesting to see that play out and how certain fans don't like it and certain fans either like it or it's just not important to them or it's not part of what they enjoy about him. So it's one of the reasons why I didn't look at his retiring as any kind of end of an era because I figured it had kind of ended as far as the NBA is concerned. I was really curious as to what the hell is going to happen with him as a, as, as a media guy. That's, that's kind of how Will I Will he stick I to it. sports or not? That's my <laughs> I bet he won't. I would bet he won't. <laughs> I don't think he, uh, I don't think he will. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, are people going to show up on that show? You know, NBA players may be a little more sensitive to, uh, one's public image who knows but he was somebody who was fairly well liked hey I spencer mean, haas will go on his show okay <laughs> i mean perhaps i mean i think obviously i think harrison will go on his show iguodala seems like he would like i'd love to oh, come yeah. on and debate you i think there is this weird assumption because of the political aspect from you know people on nba twitter or or whatnot, that this is some guy whose teammates hated him. And that's not that's not really the case. No. Or at well, remember when experience. they got him back in at the final Durant season? It was like, wow, we're getting a guy, you know, one of our guys back. It was like it brightened up the locker room for a little bit, at least. That was so interesting. And that is kind of my experience with Bogut, because I, I didn't cover the front side of Bogut, the productive side of his Warriors career. You know, I was covering the Thunder at the time. That second run that he had with him was because he was so out of the league and out of everybody's mind. I remember they were kind of looking for a center at the time to add. And I know there was somebody on the roster that was preferring Marcin Gortat at the time. And I remember it was like the name Bogut dropped is who they were signing in it. Like surprised even us who who are, you know, usually having conversations. It was like, wow, really? They're going to go to Bogut. Um, And I remember, and I'll just say Durant was the guy who was kind of thinking about were wanting Gortat at the time, and then I, I was remember. about to ask you who it was. Just, you know, <laughs> I kind of knew. I kind of knew. I kind of knew that. One. No, we all knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember it was in San Antonio, and Bogut, you know, played his first game back, and I, you know, Bogut did a couple dribble handoffs and some stuff with Durant, and Durant ended up loving to play with Bogut. You know, he really liked 
some of the screen, you know, those tough moving screens sometimes. You know what else is interesting about that second run? He started at center in probably the signature game of maybe this entire Warriors run or maybe like the punctuation game, which was game six in Houston. KD gets hurt with the calf. They're up 3-2, but they go and people are picking the Rockets to come back and win the series. And they start Bogut along with all the old that old team together. And that, that, that kind of, I felt like, was the punctuation point for the whole era. He won over KD, it seemed. They like when guys know what they're doing. I, I think that's something that that's appreciated. And uh, yeah, it was it was a strange thing. It was a strange thing for him to come back. It's also a strange thing to think about how the Bogut era does predate the finals era. We talk about that finals run, that dynastic run, but that ramp up was really uh, an interesting thing as well with Mark Jackson and Bogut fighting. If you guys remember that, that was kind of insane. That was remember I think when that, uh, Mark Jackson said Bogut got hurt while he was asleep and we ran to go ask Bogut. <laughs> <laughs> that was the weirdest press conference I've ever um I've I've ever seen. You know, and then I mean Bogut and Mark Jackson ended up hating each other, just absolutely hating each other. And uh Bogut would refer to Mark after after he left as the caterpillar because I guess Mark wanted credit and said that everybody credits the butterfly, which I guess is Steve Kerr, but nobody wants to credit the caterpillar, which is Mark Jackson. So uh Bogut would say, The caterpillar, the caterpillar is on TV. It, it, you would just say terrible things about him so that oh, was man. interesting no yes so there's all so much of that scalabrini <laughs> went scalabrini he got pissed off about that because that was his workout coach and mark jackson fired him yeah it was such so wild back then i'm just having this memory there was some broadcaster some commentator who got a I don't know exactly. I can't even remember who, but there was some sort of me too type thing, uh, should we say. And Bogut in the locker room after a game, say, he called me over and said, like, yeah, it seems like a lot of broadcasters are having trouble with sex scandals. And I go, yeah, okay, yeah, I see that. He goes, you know who else had trouble with sex scandal? Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. You know who else had trouble with a sex scandal? It was a broadcaster. So I, I don't know. He goes, the caterpillar. <laughs> It's like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, we can move off of that. We can move off of yeah, yeah. Well, Ethan out here said wow. fire to me. I know. We can. We can uh... I've told that story. I've told that story on the Lebetard show uh, years ago. So it is out there. So you don't need to aggregate it, people. If it does make the final cut, that is. I want to point out one thing. It's like you know, we had the Sean Livingston farewell, a little bit of the Andre farewell. Although that was also in the tumult of, of the Durant, the stuff Durant leaving and DeAndre Russell coming. But what with you know, Bogut and Barnes were the two guys, the two main guys who were offloaded to sign Durant in the first place. And we really didn't have the, oh, you know, what did Bogut mean? What did Barnes mean? And I don't know that the Bar Barnes would have taken that much emotion. But I think this is a time, like, we never had that moment with Bogut. Then he came back. Uh, and then it was like, is he going to come back again? Who knows? His official retirement is a chance to look back on a little bit, a little you know, period that we did not get because of they just signed Kevin Durant. They're going to, you know, what are they going to do? Who else are they signing? It was so crazy back then. And it is a good chance to time, take a pause 
and probably stay away from the Ethan stuff. But oh. uh, you know, kind of look look away at the, the basketball <laughs> port and, and what he meant to this team emotionally, and because it was so crazy, it was such a a jumble when that happened. When your team signs Kevin Durant, nothing else that matters. There's nothing else that matters. You don't think they'll play my story in the uh, montage uh, when he revisits uh, when he visits Chase Arena? You don't think that's going to be played in the, uh, with the crescendo music? Maybe I mean, not. I, I'll say this: the the most impressive Bogut run to me uh, was one of the earlier ones, which is. As Marcus mentioned, Steph and Bogut having those ankle problems, I remember just watching him get shots in his ankle and the ankle all blown up oh, and hobbling Denver through. Series. Yeah, that yeah in the series. Denver series. And he was. Remember, he ran out of, like, the, he ran past the shot limits. They were like, he's like, yeah, I took too many shots. Now I got to just take pills. I was like, dude, maybe you shouldn't be playing. <laughs> no, he and he was fantastic. I mean, he was their second best player in that series. Uh, top three in the series between the two teams. Probably want to put Andre in there, maybe at number two. And they were underdogs. People thought they were going to lose, especially when David Lee got hurt. And a lot of what happened is that Bogut came back from the dead and was this awesome, you know, top three defensive center and completely changed that series. And it's one of those, again, with creeping determinism where people people don't look at that as the upset it was looking back at it because we look at it now with our vision of what these players became, right? It's like, well, how would a team with Steph Curry lose to the Denver Nuggets? I think is how people feel about it. I mean, Mark Jackson it. was low-key calling it the whole time, right? <laughs> like, like he's, you know, he was, he was throwing shots at George Carl the whole time. That's when he said that, that Steph and Clay were the greatest two shooters of all time. Were the greatest shooting backcourt yeah. of all time, yeah. Everybody said he was crazy. Remember who who did who did Bogut lay out with the screen in that? Andre Iguodala. Just destroyed him. Just destroyed. Him. Had a hell of a dunk too at Oracle, if I remember right. Just when he dunked rain. on Javale McGee, yeah, yeah, he yeah, yeah. Javale McGee, yeah. That was an incredible series because it was the first one. They nearly all time choked it away at the end of Game Six too. They came very, very oh, close. Oh, they couldn't get the ball past half court. They couldn't get the ball in. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Which set up their next series against San Antonio, and they had an equally bad uh, few moments at the end of it. All game. right, boys, we got a season to talk about. All right, Slater's like, I I, I can't contribute to this conversation. I don't Slater's like Slater's like, going. dude, I was at OK State when this was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have been. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. No, we need to talk about how how Ethan is on my Kelly Oubre bandwagon now all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, that's not fair. Taking our private conversations and making the podcast fodder. That is not cool, Marcus. No. No, no, he said that into the microphone. He wanted me he told that story. He wanted me to come over with the microphone. I do think there are some conversations that uh, are, are fair game, and I think this is one of them. So I told Marcus, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know it's softness and old age, but Slater brainwashed me on Wiseman, and Marcus has brainwashed me on Ubre. I watched a lot of Ubre film writing about can they contend, You know, writing about Kerr's formula of top 10 defense, play real fast. And the more I watched, I thought, Man, I did not know this guy was the level of defender that he is. I know we're supposed to act like we know everything in the NBA, but it's it's a big NBA. I can't say that I watched every Phoenix Suns game last season, but I'm watching these clips and going, dude, he's shutting some guys down. He's bullying Paul George, and he's getting around every screen, and he's just a terror in passing lanes, and he's not one of these guys where it's just gambles. He can legitimately, he can legitimately guard, and so... 
I came away from it going, you know, Marcus might be right about this Ubre guy. <laughs> this might be pretty good. You know what I like about him defensively is him in isolation against guys. Like you said, 7-3 wingspan, quick, great jumper. Seems to have some good timing and some some gamble tendencies at good times. What I don't like about him defensively is he, you know, and this is a lot of guys are like this, but he doesn't seem to love contact to weaving through screens and, you know, getting screened by big men. He seems to kind of fade away from that. And, you know, if you just look at the historic numbers, he's never played on a good defense. Now, is that really necessarily his fault? No, but, I, you know, you almost need to learn to do that, and he'll take some time, I think, to learn to be part of a great defensive unit. Yeah, I think if you're making the argument, he's, he's played for two of the worst organizations in the NBA, and so maybe you think that there could be better habits uh, instilled. Here, he could be part of a better thing overall, but just as far as defensive talent is concerned and what they gave to get him, I think that that was a pretty good move. And I think it was one of those things where I didn't know enough about the defensive potential. I don't like low efficiency, high volume players on offense. And so I think that spoke to my aversion. But if you can guard like that, and now you're surrounding it with more length and more athleticism, it gets very interesting. Now, as an aside, because you did bring up Cade Cunningham, this is a general overall NBA thing, not necessarily Warriors unless Steph gets hurt. Is this going to be the tankiest year we've ever seen? Because it's not a situation where you need to get the number one pick to get your Tim Duncan in the past. And the NBA changed the rules, so it's harder to assure yourself of that number one pick. But it seems like if you throw your hat in the ring and you're top 10, you've got a potential superstar with the just what we're seeing out of some of these guys. I mean, it's unlike anything I've ever seen, I think, whether it's BJ Boston or Cade Cunningham, man, who Jalen Suck, just it's it's a list. And so... Combine it with, like, teams not getting gate revenue, it's going to be interesting. Well, and not only gate revenue, can't really get booed if there's no, you know, fans in the arena. Can't really have, like, a disappointing night at the, at the uh, you know, arena if nobody's there. Man, if you stay off social media, you might even think you play well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you walk away like, yo, it's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know that teams are tanking as much as they should. You know, you look at the Hornets, oh, it seems like you get LaMelo Ball perfect year to, like, really kind of you know, tank, give LaMelo a bunch of shots and opportunities, lose a bunch. But then they go and spend basically $39 million on Gordon Hayward because they're stretching Batum and giving, you know, Hayward 30 because they're trying to fight for the A seed. So the problem is a lot of these teams don't subscribe to that notion. And I think some smart teams have, if listeners are ready to drink. I think Sam Presti has positioned himself quite well in the Thunder to maybe get a Cade Cunningham from up the road. If Presti gets Cade Cunningham out of OK State to the Thunder, uh, he is that. He just and they're probably in the driver's seat <laughs> right now. I mean, they're going to be terrible this year. That is rigged like uh, when the when the Knicks got Patrick Ewing in the draft. I That's want you I'm to saying. tell That's Sam Presti to his face that the NBA is rigged that, uh, for the Thunder. He would, he would for love the to Thunder, that. absolutely. Yeah. I'll I, I have a million Seattle fans right behind me, too. <laughs> and then, you know who I've liked who's tanked somewhat? The Kings. You know, the Kings saying, you know, we're not matching Bogdanovich. I think, I'm not saying they're going to be like a, one of the three worst teams in the league, but I think they are they brought the new, you know, front office in, McNair, and they seem to be lining themselves up to get a top eight pick. And then if you guys want to flip the conversation back locally, what do we think of the Wolves this year? To me, that's one of the questions of the Warriors season. Lottery. Lottery. It's a huge secondary story, right? It's like this concurrent 
kind of piece we got to follow because it matters. We should get on those Zoom calls. We should get on the Timberwolves Zoom calls. People, look. I think they're going to be bad. I think they're going to be bad. Somewhere Steve Kerr is like, Anthony Edwards, let's go, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, Take all, all the, the shots shot you want. Yeah. All the shots you want. <laughs> yeah, don't run back on defense or any crazy thing like that. <laughs> don't be too bad, right, Wolves? Like, be, be you know, a good, like, uh, you know, we, seventh pick is, is fine uh, when it comes with the uh, They want number four. They want number four. You know, I've come to believe they want, if they could be the worst team in the NBA, I think that's okay with the Warriors because you have over, if you're the worst team, as the Warriors were with these flattened lottery odds, you have a 50% or better chance to be fourth or fifth. So you, you still might get, and that's perfect. The Warriors want a fourth, fifth. The other thing I've thought about is they need the Wolves to be bad right away because if the Wolves are really bad right away, that is quite a trade deadline asset. If you want to cash in oh, on it. Now, that pick becomes yeah. golden, right? Like, yeah. The reverse of that is if the Wolves surprise, if the Wolves are the seven seed come, you know, whatever, I, I'm in February, that's trouble. The Warriors suddenly say, here, you know, you can have the 15th pick in the draft. That's not as appealing. So the Wolves season probably matters just as much to the Warriors' future as the Warriors' season in a strange way. It does. I, I just think when you've got. Okay, the, the hmm, I'm not even articulating myself. <laughs> wow. you're, you're more, yeah. I'm just, uh, yeah, yeah. just go. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, then no, I got it. I got it. That's the noise that gets me back yeah, in the rhythm. Yeah, defense is underrated. <laughs> Offense is overrated. The Wolves have an overrated. <laughs> roster because Carl Anthony Towns and Angela Russell are going to look at the offense and I think the defense is going to be a disaster. I would be shocked if uh, the scenario that Slater outlines actually happens, even if it's a possibility. I think they're going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe Evan Turner saves them. We got Larry David on the show all of a sudden. <laughs> Malik Beasley. The one thing they will have over other teams, particularly later in the year, is less of a motivation to tank they don't have their you know top pick so come march if a lot of these teams are bad and if all these college prospects are looking unbelievable you know organizations will make trade deadline moves and rotational moves to put themselves in better position the wolves won't do that because they don't have their pick so they could win some games down the stretch where other teams haven't so that part i would watch I think they're going to be bad. I just think they're going to be bad. It's going to be, yeah, that fourth, fifth, sixth pick is going to be in play the whole time, and the Warriors are going to be loving it. They might not end up with it, given lottery odds, but I look at that team. I look at what they're putting together, and, and, and I don't think the Timberwolves think they're great either. I think they understand the limitations of the, you know, the defensive limitations they put, they've got on this team, but, you know, they're going to play that bad Washington Wizard, Orlando Magic style, like just muck it around and end up at, well, you know, 72 game schedule is hard to say you know what win total it's going to be but it's going to be bad it's going to be one of those 22 win kind of teams uh, and the Warriors are going to be loving every second of it right right now the 2021 ESPN mock draft has Jalen Johnson falling to the Warriors via Minnesota pick number six so draft expert take yourself out of the top three who which prospect I mean I don't know how much all of us have followed yeah I haven't looked at it I haven't looked at it nearly enough not nearly enough to know Ethan do you have a take on who fits the Warriors best I think you want a wing just because adding more wings is, is where it's at, and the draft is full of wings. I don't know enough right now. I just know that these guys have had some really impressive debuts, whether it's uh, Williams over in uh, over at Stanford, for instance. Bit of a loose handle, but that shot looks really pretty. BJ Boston really impressed people. He might fall out of the top three. <laughs> Zaire looked incredible. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he looked incredible. And I didn't get a chance to watch Jalen Johnson fully, but all I know is that pick number six would be not so bad. That would be pretty damn good. Pretty damn good outcome of the draft. Kate Cunningham and the Pokes are playing uh, Marquette today. If anyone, right, well, by the time people listen, it already happened. Yeah, he's not falling outside the top three. I mean, I think he's going one. Zaire's he's the going one. one. I'm on. I'm on a Zaire with bandwagon. That's Zaire is one. On you saying Zaire is one? No, the one. The Warriors. The one. Oh the yeah. Oh yeah. And he's is like he like he's the, a big wing. Too, right? He's like six eight. Right. He's not like a little wing. He's a big wing. So yeah, I I, I like that for the Warriors for sure. And any if they had anybody in that conversation with that pick, my God, Joe Lacob, you you did you are smart. I'm gonna admit it. You, <laughs> you were smart to do this whole rigmarole of getting D'Angelo Russell and keeping the slot and trading him for Wiggins and getting the pick. Uh, yes, that would be a, a try. Light years, you might say that would be. Uh, but we'll, well see. We'll see how it all Zaire, works. Zaire, man, like the announcers weren't reacting to it, but he was just. I think he bombed a thirty footer like it was nothing, and this is his first game i mean this is a weird draft man the amount of wing talent is unlike anything i've ever seen and i don't that's no guarantee that you're going to get a bunch of all-stars but just in terms of the expectations it is unusual and the warriors might not be very good by the way and so they might have another bite of the apple they wouldn't want it to happen like that but what's their pick their pick is protected what is it one through 20 so yeah okay yeah i mean they're fine and they're, they could theoretically you know, make the playoffs and keep their pick. You know, they would that would make them like the seventh seed. If they get six and, and 17 in this coming draft, I would be very, and again, they wouldn't want to miss the playoffs. Obviously, they want to be as good as they can be. They're paying God knows how $300 million for this payroll. But still, getting two bites of the apple would not be terrible in next year's draft. Imagine if you get six, 17, and Wiseman has an awesome rookie year. You either have one of the best trade packages to offer a superstar th- th- in recent yeah. memory or you just say look you have these like two separate eras combined together of like the steph clay draymond era aging out while you might be infusing this unbelievable you know next wave right underneath him and they can almost like you know the young guys learn from the old guys now that's a long way away we don't know what wiseman is yet we don't know what picks they're gonna get so well, how about how about we focus on this year? Yes, okay. How about, how about maybe, I be this maybe. later? I have I have a question for you. Who's the starting lineup? Steve Kerr is gonna have to figure this out. Who, who do you think ends up being the starting five? I'm planning on asking Steve Kerr this in about two two and a half hours, and then writing about it. So I think by the time listeners hear it, they'll have some type of Steve Kerr answer on this question. I think three people are firm. Obviously, Steph Curry, Draymond Green at the four, and then uh, Andrew Wiggins. I think they're. Definitely just going to hand a starting spot to. So the question I is: mean, Are center? you sure Smiley's yes. might look good? Are you sure? <laughs> Do we? I don't want. Wow. I don't want to go down this. Wow. I prepared a memo here, uh, various talking points in, in response to the brutalizing of one Alan yeah, Smiley. I want, so. want Smiley to look pretty good now because we've been way too mean to him. It's not his fault. Not his fault. He's just poor Alan Smiley. Oh, yeah. Let me get my violin. <laughs> Two positional battles um, in training camp. Center. And that's really just a, how does James Wiseman look. If he doesn't look good enough, then you start Chris. Or if, he, if they just Don't underestimate in, the fight of Marquise Chris. Come Marquise on. Chris, come on. Don't underestimate the 6'9 guy battling for the position. I'm not underestimating, but to me, like, Marquise Chris isn't going to win it in camp. Wiseman is just not going to look Wiseman good. Wiseman can walk, he's going to. <laughs> and Wiseman can I mean, he's the future. He I mean, we all know job. he's the future at the spot. At some point, Wiseman's taking over the starting job. It just is that day one or is that day, you know, thirty-five. The interesting part is the other wing. Is the yes, other? Yes, that's the other. And we could we we can get into that if you guys want. I mean, their best lineup includes Kelly Oubre 
and that should be their closing lineup at half. Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins at the wings. But Kelly Oubre makes sense as a as a sixth man. So would you guys start somebody else? I don't know who do you start. So I'd start Oubre. Damian I mean, Lee. Yeah, I don't know if Michael Mulder. Michael Mulder. Jordan Poole. I think you start your best five. I mean, Kent Bazemore. Yeah, Bazemore. I mean, then you sub out Ubre fast, right? He's your first sub out, or maybe Wiseman. Get them both out, and then you got you kind of hold, get them out early, and they're part, so they're part of the first unit, and they're part of the second unit. I think that kind of works. They're kind of the bridge guys because you kind of want Steph and Draymond to play together, obviously, and maybe Wiggins in that group, and then you get Ubre and was it Wanamaker Ubre. Could be Wiseman, could be Chris. Pascal. Uh, kind of, yeah, Pascal is your second unit. And I think that's, I mean, that's how much better is that than anything they threw out there as a second unit last season? It's not even close. Uh, unless Dragon, we, we want to crush Dragon Bender, too, who was so awesome last Tim, season. Tim, did you not like the uh, D'Angelo <laughs> Russell, Willie, Collie, <laughs> Stein pick and yeah. roll? Kai yeah, anything, Bowman. Uh, anything where you start with D'Angelo Russell, I didn't like last season, so... I could see Kerr wanting Wanamaker to lead that. You know, we all see Wanamaker kind of leading that second unit, and then you kind of mix and match. But I think you want defense too, so you kind of keep Ubre back for that. You have Ubre, Bazemore, Wanamaker, maybe Wiseman slash Chris Pascal. There's your second unit, so you can start Ubre in there, or you can not. But I think you can't. You, you start your best five, you close your best five, and you have that second unit working in there. Maybe Ubre, you know, works in is a starter who works in with that second unit. Would you just tell Steve? I already said his rotation. Tell form. Steve it's yeah. done. Yeah. I'm just gonna transcribe you for my article later. <laughs> I think the only other case, really, I'm not, I'm not really for the Bazemore starting. The only other case could be made is Damian Lee is just a better shooter, and he's probably as good a defender from what we've seen. As Ubre? As who? As who? As good a defender as who? As Ubre. No. I don't know. Oh, no, I don't. Damian Lee? I don't think he has the defensive talent, but he's he can hang at the position. We haven't seen Ubre lock down LeBron. (laughs) No, but we've never seen Damian Lee do that either. I mean, certainly never given that. Well, one of them shoots 40, can shoot 40% from three. I mean, I could see see in certain matchups, I, I could see Damian Lee. I think... I mean, probably not Portland, you know, probably not, you know, any team that's got two dangerous perimeter players that you need two defenders for. And that's where I say you got Uber and Uber gets one and Wiggins gets one. If they only have one dangerous perimeter player, then I could see, okay, Uber gets that. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Wiggins gets that one guy and you can have Steph and Damian kind of, you know, do what they can against the other two. But if it's like, you know, Phoenix is going to bring in, you know, they're going to bring in Booker and Chris Paul. I, I want as many defensive players as I can get out there. And I, I'd want Ubre as much against those guys as I could. You also want shooters. So if those guys don't make shots, I could just see them wanting a guy who can shoot to play with Steph, right? If, you, if you're trying to open the floor, you got Wiseman, you got Draymond. You need a guy who can keep the defense from collapsing on Steph. That's the only other case I can see being made. But I'm starting Ubre for the simple fact you could put him on any point guard. Ubre, you guard the point guards. That's what I would want Ubre to do. You guard when Chris Paul comes to town, you guard him. When when Damian Lee when Damian Lillard comes to town, you guard him. Like that's the role, and that's what he'll be great at. I think. Yeah, it's only half of the Clay role. That's how good Clay is, right? It's half of what Clay did for the Warriors, but it's a big half. It's a really big half. We also know how Steve Kerr operates traditionally which is if clay thompson was out a month if clay thompson was out two months it would make sense to start lee because you want Ubre. hey get used to your six-man role you're gonna be a bitch guy yeah stay there you need to learn this unit but the fact that clay's out for the season no question 
You don't think he'll do it for next year? Hey, Ubre, let me get you ready for 2021. <laughs> nah, that would be quite especially cool. since Ubre is not guaranteed, right? Like the other okay, the other thing I would it. say the other thing I would say is Ubre's not a non-shooter. Ubre is an improving three-point shooter that took 6.6 I believe per game last year, made 35%. I agree if Ubre and Damian Lee are absolutely wide open for three, I'd probably say it's more likely Damian Lee's goes in. But Damian Lee took I'm looking right now, five a game last year made 35.6% it's almost the exact same percentage and Ubre gives you just a lot more elsewhere so with clay not coming back i think it'll become obvious to just have Ubre start but i think i think steve kerr will have a somewhat of a competition and a thought process going to before he just says it i don't see any of those guys actually beating out Ubre. I, I don't the only argument i could see is the is the extra shooter to keep you know to free up steph but I, I mean, the dude is six seven with a seven foot three wingspan. If the Warriors can't use that on defense, that's what Draymond needs. And he's good in transition. And I mean, we're all saying they want to play fast. Uh, you know, do you want Ubre filling a lane or do you want Damian Lee filling a lane? I, I know which one. I not no shot at Damian Lee, who I think is going to play a role on this team. Who is better than Jordan Poole? He's probably better than Michael Mulder, but I don't see him as the guy that you want to play. I like you throwing that thir- probably in there. But. Yeah. <laughs> 32 minutes a game. Who Who's playing 32 minutes a game out of that group? It's Kelly Oubre, so you might as well just start him, and you're certainly going to close halves with him. The argument, I guess, like, there are coaches who just love to have that injection of life at the six-minute mark of the first quarter. Hey, you know, they, you know there's just not enough energy off the gate tonight. That's Oubre, what get in there, for, score. right? There you okay. go. That's what, that's what, yeah, that's what Pascal's Pascal's for. Wanamaker. Baysmore want to make her basketball, you know? It's possible. It's possible, you know? I just think the Ubre thing has potential, man. I think long-term potential, though. Like Maybe it doesn't work out, but it's almost like drafting a player. He's 24. He showed some potential. They didn't give up a ton to get him, either. They got this protected pick. And the money, right? The money. But overall, in terms of your assets, not a ton. So... I think it's one of those things where you want to give him all the time you can give him just because what if he blossoms? What if he becomes an all-star? Suddenly the conversation about your team is radically altered and your potential, your possibilities are as well. You guys want a crazy stat? Kelly Oubre is only 11 months older than Eric Paschal. Eric Paschal just turned 24. Kelly Oubre will turn 25 in about a month. So as you mentioned, like it's almost like drafting a player. It's crazy when these guys come in the league so early. We forget how young they actually are. I mean, Lo- I mean Looney, that's the one that's still signing. <laughs> What's he now, 19? Looney's yeah. 19 years old, everybody. They got yeah, him at we the haven't right mentioned Looney at all. Is he going to play? <laughs> Is he not in the second unit? <laughs> I look at the salary. We talk about Ubre could be this. You know, he's on a one-year deal, and he could be somebody. He's going to cost a lot of money if he's any good. Like, and that's going to just just. We've already talked about how big their payroll is. This is going to going to push it to some incredible number. I don't know. They might have to get out of Looney very soon. Like they got out to get a Looney. They got to get out of another contract if they keep Ubre. They're getting out of a. They're not keeping Ubre and Wiggins. I like mean, they've Clay already, they've already got three max contract, what, four max contract guys? I mean, it's like, it's amazing. I kind of right wonder now. with the money Lacob's throwing around, I kind of wonder if they'd never really looked into getting loans before and then they called up Goldman when this financial pinch hit and it's just, what? We can get like $6 billion, 3% interest? Oh my God, open up the vault. They refinanced the franchise. <laughs> they did a refi. <laughs> you just want a bunker suite? All right. Cool. <laughs> they clearly are willing to spend a lot of it. But I mean, you start talking. If Oubre's a $20 million a year player, which he might be if we're talking him up like this, 
we're talking from a $300 million payroll to a $370 million payroll. The numbers do get out of control at some point, and I do think they are going to, they're going to have to make some trims somewhere. And I don't know where that is. I mean, Looney's one of them, but it's not a huge trim. Uh, and, you know, then other players are going to no, come up. No, we know what the trim is. It's Wiggins. Like, that's a savings. We don't know that yet because I think this season will tell us. No, I'm saying if we're presuming they keep Wiggins, that's the contract that has N- to go. No, nobody wants to say what it could be. Draymond or Clay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Draymond's the one they're more comfortable with, but Clay is the one you might be able to get some sort of other owner or team to go. He could recapture the glory, you know, just throw us a, a second round pick and something else uh, to take him off your hands. That is, I could see Vivek doing something like that when it comes to Clay, I guess. Just going back previously before that we mentioned Clay and Draymond, I have something that I don't think is that hot of a take, but it's. I feel like I'm about to get pushback from you guys. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to have a better season than Kelly Oubre. I think he's better. I just think because of Wiggins' monster contract, he's being weighed down so much by that, but he's still good. Like, wow. I don't know. Do you, you guys you disagree just, with me? You were just like, you were Kelly Oubre's agent like 10 minutes ago. What happened? I think Kelly Oubre was a good pickup. I think they're very similar players. I think Wiggins is going to be a better player. Now he has a much bigger contract, as we all know. So No, I think Wiggins is a better player. It does, I mean, we say Wiggins like, is well, better. But no, no he's, he's a better not, player. He's better. Yeah. And if he plays defense the way that Ron Adams says he can play defense, then yes, he will clearly be a better player. He's not worth $33 million, but... You know, in this world, you know, it's just the context of it. That's what they had to take to get him and to get the pick. Yeah, he can score and he can theoretically play defense. I don't know if he's ever going to rebound. I don't know if he's ever going to pass. But those two things in this league are incredibly valuable. And Ubre is limited on the offensive side. And, and we don't want to over-talk him on defense. He's good, he's good on He's not great on defense. He's good on defense. But it's a matter of fit, a matter of texture. It's a matter of how this all works. Wiggins is a better player. But Ubre really fits what I think they want to do. I think that's the difference of these two. The question is next year, if we're if you're saying Ubre is worth 20, Wiggins is 31.5. Which one do you rather have? And while we're talking about Draymond, Draymond's at 22. If you're paying Ubre 20 and Draymond 22, like if you swap them, you're not saving that much money. I have a uh, blasphemous question for you guys now then. Beginning next season, who do you think will be the worst of these three? Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, Clay Thompson. Probably Clay. The worst player or the worst yeah. contract? I mean, worst sadly, contract. yeah. A lot of Clay's value is that defense. And from at least what I've read, I'm not a doctor, caveat, caveat. That lateral. But you stayed uh, at a Holiday Inn Express? I, did, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express after getting tested for COVID. And that side-to-side motion, I mean, we talk about how some of these guys came back and produce better offensively. I don't see anybody saying, oh, yeah, and Rudy Gay could really guard when he came back. Or, yeah, Dominique, when he came back, he could really lock a guy up. No, it's offensive that people are talking about. It is so hard to see after rupturing your Achilles, being able to come back and provide anything close to the defensive value that Clay provided. Especially his specific value, which was chasing point guards. That was that's That was unique. And the more I read up on it, the more I looked into it, the more people who knew what they were talking about talked to me about it. I think we have this idea that we are living in the future when it comes to medicine and everything can be fixed. And ACL used to be a career ender and now it's not. 
Achilles is a different beast, man. It's a different beast. Everything is connected to that. It's the base of what you're Which is doing. one of the reasons why I think, yeah, they, they do need Oubre long-term if he's good, right? You, you have to replace Clay like that. You just have to. It's another statement, though, about Clay's value before pre-injury is that he could just shoot the ball and be Kyle Korver. And there's a there's a real, real value in Kyle Korver. Still, maybe. And so, like, he could float around for five more years being adequate on defense, certainly not good. And, you know, you get a defensive, you have to get a defensive stopper for him and just shoot the ball. And he's going to be still have, it will not be $35 million of value, but that's done. That's sunk cost. They can't go back on that. When we talk about maybe trading him, I don't know they're going to get anything close to the value of that. There's no way. You might as well just pay the money. And if you can keep Oubre and Clay, you kind of have two people playing, doing what Clay did by himself. Or, you know, Oubre kind of fills the Andre role in some way. And that's how they're going to have to vacate for now. They, I mean, they hope for Oubre can do those things. And then when Clay comes back, he can at least shoot. I agree. But when we're talking cold-blooded roster building, and if we're saying you have, I'm look, if you keep Oubre. If you, if you delete one of those, let's just say, if you, you're the Warriors, in, in a fantasy world, you could delete one of those contracts. They, if they, 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 delete, they delete, the, yeah, they delete the clay. They delete the clay. Yeah, well, and the, it's a mandate. You have to get rid of one of these monster pieces. I think as we just talk about cold-blooded future thinking roster building, to me, it's becoming clearer that Wiggins isn't the one that is like the one you might necessarily want the albatross to well because he's 25 too you know i mean that makes it that makes it, it depends on how he plays this season you know too but. it's blasphemous what you're saying but it's also just cold eyed reality and i think that it's on us to explain it a little bit to fans because i think for for a lot of fans they know what the deal is with achilles but i think there's a lot of well it's clay and he's tough and everything else and look if he comes back and he's the old Put clay tussing on it clay <laughs> if he comes back, he's the old Clay. That's a that that is an incredible story, and we will write about it and say it was really impressive. But by no means should we be counting on it. That is not the probability. Back this summer, when Hollinger called Clay's contract pre Achilles, uh, the worst contract in the league, and he got heat from it, obviously from Warriors fans. I agreed with him because he's coming off an ACL and you know and in his 30s and you just don't know how and you're paying for the for his middle 30s when we know that NBA prime for a two guard is your you know is your late 20s to mid 20s it was already not a great contract the Warriors paid it anyway they had to you know we would have ripped him if they didn't pay Clay last summer totally understood ACLs are different than Achilles but even then if you were smart and you you took emotion out of it and you knew that was not a great contract, now to have that loaded up with Achilles on top of it, it's a bad deal. I mean, but they you know some costs they have to live with it. Clay deserved the money. Nobody wants to see you know this fail. No one wants to see him come back and be half of what he was. But the, the strong possibility is that he's you know certainly a percentage less, maybe a big percentage less than he was. You know, and whenever that come, whenever he comes back, we still don't know when that's going to be. Guess what I gotta go do? Slayers got Lakers. Lakers. Lakers podcast. <laughs> That's all right. That's the favorites. The title favorites. I mean, I don't want to get us into another discussion because I really do have to leave. But I think I'm gonna pick the Clippers to win it all. It's a surge of Baca feeling. Believe me, I can sense Honestly, that. Honestly, I think that was the best. <laughs> I think that was the move this offseason that that will impact the title the most. He's better than Montrezl Harrell. I agree. Yeah. He's he's better in a playoff Particularly game than Montrezl Harrell. Particularly in their what they need. They don't need you know what they don't need. They don't need Montrezl Harrell in the playoffs to to use up a bunch of possessions. They need a rim protector who can spread the floor and who can guard big men in the post and can kind of switch sometimes. That's Ibaka. That's not Harrell. So I think they're better this year. I'm intrigued also. I 
am intrigued also. So, you know, Clippers are interesting. I don't know. I mean, Paul George back in the playoffs would worry me. You never know what Kawhi's going to do. And, and Kawhi with a well-put-together roster is going to be interesting. They're going to be tough on the Warriors. I know that. They're going to be really tough on the Warriors. Because who who the Warriors got to guard everything that the Clippers can throw at them. But we shall see. Slater, go. Go, go. Next week when we talk to you, we will have interviews. We will have wow. training camp stuff to talk about. But more importantly, like we'll, 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 we'll have seen more of these college <laughs> games with these 2021 guys as well. We can give full scouting reports. Until Isn't that then. Aussie League starting up again, Ethan? We can any film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got to get into that. <laughs> All right. See you, everybody. Ah!